As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. I've got a very special guest with me today another episode and my guest today is Simon Millington. Morning Simon, how are you? Yeah, I'm very good, yes. Thank you uh, for inviting me on. Brilliant, now, Simon, thanks for being with me, man. Uh, just a quick one, Simon, before we get into the thick of it, um, maybe just give a bit of a brief in insight around who you are, what you do, and um, we can kind of go from there. Well, yeah, it's interesting. Um, most recently, I was working for the Football Association as a counter coach developer, which is someone who was tasked with um, delivering level one, two in UEFA B within uh, the county that they were assigned, and mine was Kent, and also the CPD events and then mentoring people through their institute support visits. Unfortunately, I was made redundant from that role back in October of last year. And so most recently, I've been doing mental health courses um, MHFA England as an independent instructor and also working for Pearson as their level three sport and excellence performance assessors, which is assessing scholars within professional football clubs um, in relation to that award. So I, I still keep abreast of coach development, but during the pandemic, it, it's been difficult to get back out, uh, especially because I, I moved to Spain during that time. Uh, and. Uh, Doing things in Spain has been a little bit different, so I've had to do a lot of my stuff online, um, which, you know, I think most people have had a lot of CPD and development through this format, um, but I do miss being back on the grass. That's part of the reason why I'm moving back to England in 2022, to get back involved, um, you know, out supporting coaches as best I can. Brilliant. Like, obviously, you talked about some of your experiences working as a coach developer, but obviously the journey started off as a coach. Um, yeah, yeah. I want to take you right back to the start of that journey. You know, where, where and when did you fall into the world of coaching? 
Well, yeah, I think it was around 1997. Um, so at that time, I was working on building sites. Um, and I thought, I can't do this for the rest of my life. This is not something that really floats my boat. What else do I really, really like? You know, so um, I, the nature of your audience, I don't know what they are, but, you know, from the ages of 16 to 20, I was probably in a little bit of trouble, you know, and uh, trying to get away from being in trouble, uh, went on to building sites to earn money, Jim Badge at that time, which was the FA prelim. Um, so I did that with the Navy because I'm from Portsmouth and uh, the Navy was the best place to do it. I, I didn't pass the first time, you know, so uh, I, I was determined then, you know, because I didn't take it as serious as I should. You know, and I've seen it myself when coaches come onto courses, people think they can rock up and pass, you know, so it was good for me to get a kick up the backside and have to redo it. Um, so in 1997, I think I passed that. And then I started working for, you know, the local authority running social inclusion sessions um, in deprived areas of Portsmouth and then working part time for Portsmouth in the community in school sessions, after school sessions, holiday courses and uh, within school time as well so there was a bit of school time stuff there but it was just ad hoc so i then had the dream that i wanted to work in the pro game and so i started to take my other coaching qualifications at that time you went from prelim straight on to UEFA B. again i did my UEFA B with the navy in 1998 and passed that first time because i took it much more seriously and um, was then i i started to look at um, well, what else I need to do and I was coaching in a variety of formats, pre-academy stuff for Portsmouth, but it was a centre of excellence back then. Um, working in non-league football at a low level, just doing sessions, um, so nothing serious, um, because um, I, I also had to earn a living. So at that time, I was working as a night porter in the University of Portsmouth, while then getting up, then going out and doing have to prioritise where things lie and the coaching community in the next player and he started to really try and professionalize the pre-academy stuff uh, to align with the center of excellence so i managed to get on my a license up at lillishaw in 2002 and uh, at that time it was two weeks at lillishaw intensive you do a lot of sessions running around in them constantly some workshops in the morning pre-run around some workshops in the evening so 10 to 12 hour days, quite hard going, but really good. You know, you, you start to pick up a lot. Uh, and, and then, you know, I, I got knocked back for that. And um, so me and my partner at the time, then we split up and I went traveling. I went backpacking for, you know, about 18 months. So I went to South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, Thailand, Fiji, but it was South America where I really wanted to go to. And I went to South America, also playing street football in the corners of Peru. Um, you know, everyone paid a, 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 the equivalent of a pound uh, and your team and winner stays on. So that's how they earn money. They just kept, you know, playing football in the evening and then go for a few beers after. And then you play in, in the Amazon, in the jungle, then on the beaches and, you know, playing on Copacabana Beach, Ipanema Beach in Rio then going down to Argentina and playing in Tigre on the, the, the pitches there. It was just fantastic to play against different people and see how they, their joy of football, actually, especially the Brazilians, you know, the way they just play football wherever they can at every opportunity. I came back, I sit, I reset my A licence in between 
those bits and went up to Keele University, got knocked back again. Even though all my colleagues and people on the course said, oh, you've smashed it this time, it was still, no, no, unfortunately, you know, you're 90% there, but you haven't quite got it. You know, for me, 90% surpassed. But at that time, it wasn't. So when I came back, I moved from Portsmouth up to London. And um, I was living in Brixton in a house share. And uh, I started working for Fulham in the community within Brixton. Um, so I started to run their satellite office out there as the football development manager in that, in that office. Which then was a really great learning for me to work with lots of people from different cultures. You know, working in Brixton with a variety of different people, especially people from the Caribbean background, was excellent. Really, really eye-opening, and um, the way they see life, the way they love life, their philosophies on football, experiencing the patties, the porridge. You know, just having great experiences with people in that area, and also the challenges they face. You know, unfortunately, some of the young people growing up in them areas have got very much a challenging atmosphere with postcodes and also being groomed into things where you think, oh, what a shame, well, you know, it's an absolute crying shame for them that they're, they're getting, you know, taken down a crime route, which is something that no one should be, you know, that's your choices. You do this or other things will happen to you. So it was, it was lovely to work at Fulham. Um, I tried to do my A-licence reassessment again, but I couldn't, um, I wasn't allowed to work with the academy because um, I was a foundation or, you know, a community coach. So I wasn't seen as uh, good enough. Um, so then I went back to my hometown as a sports development officer for the local authority, Portsmouth, where I was working in the youth service, trying to introduce young people into a variety of different sports. Um, and I was doing coaching down there, mainly with the Royal Navy, um, social recreational sides, not their first team, and um, just to keep my hand in and just to make sure I was coaching lots and lots and lots. And then part of that work got me a job at the FA within a program called the, the, the Football Mashup. So Football Mashup was around getting teenagers who dropped out of the game back into the game. So they wanted people who could communicate well with teenagers, could get onto their level. And that's when we started to use a constraints-based approach to introduce games, because they didn't want coaching. The reason that they'd left football was partly because the coaches being too demanding, didn't understand their needs and wants, and, you know, making them feel worthless. These are the, the children who actually aren't going to go on to be elite performers. So they just want to play football on their terms. So that's part of what we were doing. It was giving football on their terms, but conditioning the game so they were still learning and developing and getting, and getting better at football. And then that role ran out because of funding, um, you know. So then the next part was actually, um, then I would have probably gone down the academy route because at that time, that's when they were starting to grow. Um, but I'm very proud of being more of a recreational grassroots person um, because I think the wider the base, you know, where that's where most people work, you can make a real difference to young people's lives. And I think that's what really motivates me. It's, it's trying to make sure their experiences of sport and football are excellent. And it's yeah. trying to make coaches aware that they play a pivotal role in that. Just on that then, like you, you've talked to in quite a lot of depth around some of your, some of your journey there. There's been a lot of different 
experience. You seem quite quite like a uh, quite well travelled, so you probably see, you experience a lot of different cultures. You're right. You know, you're currently in sitting currently in Spain. Um, uh, initially, with the intention of potentially building out a career out there in, in the game. You talk about going through your A license and even at some point being ninety percent of the way there. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, you've had time as a county coach developer, so you know you're quite familiar with the coach education pathway and how things have maybe changed over the years. Yeah. Um, as well as as well as being privy to maybe some of the the cultural aspects of other countries and how the game is seen and and maybe delivered elsewhere. So, a Let's start with the coach education pathway. What are your thoughts on the current coach education pathway? And, you know, having gone through that journey yourself in terms of um, not quite being over the line, having to go through several assessments of the A licence, um, even though you thought you were ready at times, do you feel that it was almost, you're 90% of the way there because it's a cookie cutter approach and you're still not, fu you're still not fully cooked over, if that makes sense? Yeah, there was very much a um, hierarchy in relation to who passed. Now, I haven't got a playing background. I haven't got a, uh, you know, lots of friends in places that would be classified as football people. Um, so, you know, my background was a love of coaching. I loved the game and I wanted to be involved in it. You know, I don't know what your experience was as being coached, but when I was a, a child, I played for a very good team. But the coaching was, you know, nothing to be desired. Drill-based, lots of repetition of stuff that didn't really transmit to the football pitch. And also, you know, there was no um, real equal playing time. Or So if your dad bought the kit, yeah, you were in. <laughs> Even if you weren't the best kid. So you actually navigate some of those politics. So when I look at coaching... Um, I don't believe in that methodology that was used there. You know, copy me, you'll become a good coach. Because how do we know the person in front of you is a good coach? So for me, what, what the, 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 the latest, you know, iteration or version of coaching is, is it's encouraging people to learn how to coach the right way for them, um, based on their context. Now, it still needs to evolve further. So when I was working within that role, it was influenced by research. So one of the research papers that resonated with me was Cote and Gilbert's Effective and Expert Coaching. So when I looked at that, and actually they talk about four Cs, so connection, um, character, confidence, and then competence. I've also added in the fifth C of care, you know, because I think it's important that young people, players, need to know that you care about them. Now, Cote and Gilbert would say that sits underneath character. Yeah, so, you know, it's semantics really. But for me, that's how I started to assess people. How well do they connect with their players? Yeah. How well do they then try and build their character, their confidence, and ultimately their competence as a person, but then as a footballer? So this is at level two. Um, so then... I would, because assessing people with a coaching framework, a coaching competency framework was vast. You know, as you said at the start, the spectrum of coaching is, you know, huge. So we would discuss on the courses in Kent, how do you connect with your players? Because if you're running the under sevens or under eights, 
it would look different to you doing the first team at a non-league side who might be step five. So connection is variable. So when I come out and look at you in situ, we'll discuss what are you really working on? Well, I'm really trying to build effective connections to build confidence with that player, that player, that player, but ultimately the team's competence will be where we drive this from. So that's when I started to look at it and say, right, well, that's what we'll look at then. And then your level two sign-off will be linked to you evidencing that you can do that. So it still sits within the framework, but you, you've, you're, you're trying to give people more of a chance around what their skills and attributes are rather yeah. than going, oh, you need to step in at this time, do a stop stand still, demo it, and then uh, get them to rehearse it. And then, yeah. because, okay, that's a way to coach. Is it the most effective way? Probably not for under eights. So we have to make it contextual. We have to judge people on where they're working. And, you know, that might be specific if someone is working at an elite end and they really want to nail a certain thing that they want to get across. And they're going to go, we're going to paint a really clear picture of what the expectation is. Mm. Would that be right for under eight kids in December and you've only got an hour with them? No. So for me, I think the current courses do are edging towards that. Yeah. You're getting judged. I think uh, what you do need, though, is if someone's coming off a level two or in the future it'll be a UEFA C, they need a bridging course before they can go into academy football. They need to be able to evidence that they understand enough of the game yeah. to then go into that. Because I don't think the X's and O's, the tech tap bit, is essential for grassroots coaches. If they want to learn it, they can go off and learn it. Most yeah. people. But, you know, if it's about keeping children in the game and making football for all and making sure that they keep coming back, then we don't need to be too heavy on that. We can use conditioned games, yeah. constraints, which draw out and allow them to problem solve. But I think when they go into a more elite environment, there needs to be a bridge between grassroots type quals into you know, more elite environments. That could also be part of a mentoring process rather than a bridging quad, if you, if you understand what I mean by yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. I, think, I mean, I think you make a great point there. You know, there's always been, a, there's always been that conversation ever since the kind of the youth mods came out, really, where uh, um, there were some contradictions or there were some uh, misplaced priorities around what was important and what was not important within grassroots football when whether the pathway was appropriately... Um, catering for coaches who wanted to go down the recreational route and those that maybe wanted to go down uh, becoming career coaches down a, a more professional route like I think um, I definitely agree that there should be some sort of bridging element whether that's through mentoring whether that's through a, a course in particular um, but com coming back to the framework now it's a conversation I've been having with a few people so I've been um, Similarly to self, I've worked in coach education. I've been, I've been delivering courses on behalf of counties for the last few years myself. And it's quite interesting because, yes, there's a framework, and I think the framework allows people to work within it. And, uh, you know, largely the, the, the gist of it is really, right, do what you think is best for the players in your environment, provide a rationale for it. And as long as it's justified, then, yeah, we can kind of go with it. We don't necially have to agree as as coach developer to, to coach, um, as long as we can see eye to eye on what that justification is. Um, 
Now, I think a lot of learners, certainly from my experience, um, interpret that as, well, I can coach what I want and how I want because it's my environment, if that makes sense. Um, but actually then lose sight of the bit that you've just spoke about there in terms of actually still got to be relevant to the game. You still have to have that tech tack and the X's and O's piece in there. And no one's saying that it needs yeah. to be at this level, but everything should still link back to that. So I'll give you an example. Um, I, had a, I had a learner recently. He's been, um, unfortunately, due to the pandemic and in, in, in other, other circumstances, has, has basically gone through a, uh, maybe three or four different uh, tutors before I've come across him. Um, and he said consistent feedback that, OK, look, we can see what you're trying to do, but actually still need to be able to demonstrate the tech, tech piece. Um, and it might be the interpretation of that might be actually, can you do, maybe step and do some command style, stop standstills, um, working with players that are age 13 to kind of 14. And his response to that is, well, it's my environment. My players are not going to enjoy that. Yeah, and I think it's that finding the balance of right, are your players not going to enjoy it, or is it the other side of that is the players are not going to enjoy it because maybe you're not delivering it in a way that is enjoyable? Because I don't think I don't think stop stand still is a bad way to coach. I don't think it's I don't think it's the only way to coach, but I definitely think it is required in many environments, especially if they're not just there simply for participation. Yeah, and, and, and without knowing this context and what this lad's background is and where he's trying to go. So is it UEFA B? Is it level two? It, it's, it's UEFA B, and that's, I think that's where it becomes even more yeah. important. Yeah, because be UEFA B, so what we would do, sorry to cut you off, yes. So when I was doing level two, what we would say is, this is all, um, from a practical perspective, we would say we will treat block one as foundation phase on the ball, understand what technique looks like. You know, so the small details of how to travel with the ball, how to pass the ball, but we might dress it up with condition games. So if I'm looking on a variety of pass types, we might play a game called bomb the base, where you put a bib on the floor and you decide the distance that that bib is away from you and your mate, and then all you do is you try and clip the ball and get it to land on the bib. Or if you're not good at clipping, pass it and see if you can get it to... So you're just looking at accuracy and weight, but it's dressed up in a game. So if you're doing it with foundation phase, that's it. When you speak to the coaches, you start to say to them, right, look at how he's addressing the ball. What's the contact like? Why is it not going accurate? Is their foot locked? Is it you know, open? Is it closed? Are they hooking it? So we would start to just delve into them with a little bit more detail around what they're looking for as they're going around watching the practice. You then go into block two where you start to think, all right, well, we need some, um, some sort of building on that. So me and a mate. So we can start to then talk about angles and distance and timing and how to approach, when to approach, body shape but we would take, play lots of games, you know, but they would be small versions of the games, 1v1s, 2v2s, 3v3s. So you then start to help people understand, this is the game, you have to combine and get the ball into that end zone. But what we're really looking at is actually overlap runs. So if you manage to go out the, the wide areas and overlap a friend, then you'll get two when you get the ball into that end zone. So those little conditions to try and encourage that topic to come out more. 
But we then look at coaches and say, look, when you're observing the practice, yeah, don't just write down about, oh, this is how I set it up. Look at the detail. When do I pass? How do I pass? How do I receive? What's, what's the timing of the run? So then we would go on to block three, which would be on around away from the ball. So what do I do if I'm on the ball? What does my mate do to support me long? So people would then go on to UA for B, understanding the, the very basics of on around away. So yeah, we would then look at uh, coaching practices which had contextual interference. And it might not be full on pressure, but there'll be bodies in the way and having to deal with that. We would then say to people, try and use a different coaching methodology here to help you understand when to intervene, how to intervene. It could be peer discussions, one-to-one -one yeah. conversations. It could be, you know, stop, stand still. Yeah. What we would say in block three is we want you to evidence to us that you're confident at stopping it, rehearsing it, demoing it, and having a go. Because we want you to leave the course with as much coaching methodology as you can, yeah. and then you can select and apply what you think is appropriate. And I, th I think that's a really good way to look at it. I mean, if, if, if I just come back to some of the institute visits I've done and some of the learners that I've, I've worked through that, if I come back to this same gentleman, even in fact, says, look, I understand what you're trying to do. However, in order to get through this pathway, this qualification, you need to put evidence to me and demonstrate to us that you can, if when needed, yeah. cope in these ways. Now, you know, to keep it very simple, here's the coaching, here's the coaching spectrum, here's the different types of interventions that you may or may not use. You may have a dominant style, you may have one that's not as dominant. You may have a preferred style that you like to use within your coaching based on the environment you're in. However, you need to go to demonstrate that you can use each and each and every one of them yeah. if and when needed. Um, and even coming back to the qualifications themselves, but I mean the way I the way I kind of break it down is the level one is the what, the level two is the how, the UA for B, and then is almost the why, the where, and the when. Mm -hmm. And then the A is kind of the why, the where, and the when, part two, yeah. in a bit more detail, but it's not why, where, and when, but it's why, where, and when in relation to what the opposite 11 players are doing. Yeah. Um, so from that perspective, it's just almost right. You have to be able to demonstrate that you have a good understanding of that. And the simplest way I explain it is that you need to be able to show us that you can coach. Mm. You can actually coach the game. And it's not as simple as, right, putting on practice, putting them in some games, throwing some conditions on it and saying, right, this is what we're doing. I mean, even that old, that old phrase of let the game be the teacher, I don't believe in that. Because at some point there needs to be a guiding principle, there needs to be a guiding, whether that's from the conditions or the constraints as you put them within the game, whether that's some direction or um, tasks that have been set by the coach, um, or even if it's a simple command right this is what we're looking at today and being very direct with that approach um i don't know what your thoughts are on that yeah and this is where you know you get into what is coaching what is effective and expert coaching so some people will sit in the spectrum that coaching is me getting in and doing um but i also agree with you you can't turn around and say let the game be the teacher because you know for how long for 
you know, but then it's me judging what someone else's ability is as they develop. So were they just about to crack it before I stepped in? I don't know. So when I step in and intervene, it could be a questioning process to go, talk me through this, talk me yeah, through that. Yeah, 100%. Now, I think just on that as well, it's, it, it's not just were they about to crack it before I stepped in, but it's also understanding that we've all got our own perceptions of what the game looks like. So it's really important that we do understand where they're at. So one of the challenges I often give any coaches that I work with is, right, if you've got um, some of your, let's just say your key coaching points, your key factors that you're hoping to go through if you were maybe to use a command style approach, right? Based on that, I want you to now develop maybe three to four questions mm -hmm that will allow you to extract the understanding from the player in relation to those points that you're going to give. Yeah. Um, start to consider, no one's saying you have to use the questions, you don't have to use them. But I just I just believe from my own experiences, by getting the coaches to start to think about those questions that they may be able to ask, will allow them to start to see the game from a different perspective. And in addition to that, it's then, like you, like you mentioned, about peer discussion. Right, how would you guide that peer discussion? What task could you set within a peer discussion or group collaborative discussion that actually might lead them towards identifying either the technical outcomes or, the, or a better understanding of the tactical requirements of that skill or component or whatever that might be? Whereas, like I said, you get a lot of learners now who walk away from the courses thinking it's just about putting on the practice. Putting on the practice is great. And I, if I come back to the same learner again, I know it's ego. I've been working with these, uh, these players for four years and they've definitely developed over time. And I, I said, well, there's no doubt they've probably developed over time. The question is, have they developed as much as they could have in that period? Now, we will never know the answer to that question, but what we can mm -hmm. do is reflect and say, right, what have we done? And what are the things that we could have done that we, we, we can be quite certain of probably would have given them more opportunities to develop, if that makes sense? Yeah, I mean, the big thing with me, and I've been more and more drawn to this, is do people understand what my interpretation of what I'm saying is to them? And it's the same with players. So if we talk about, you, you know, there's a great guy called Mark Bennett who does some really good work around uh, athlete-centered coaching, player-centered coaching and looking at a behaviours first approach. So if I'm talking about, well, well, actually, I want you to be committed to your learning and development. What does that mean for Yas? What does it mean for Simon? What does it mean for Terry? What does it mean for Mohammed? We can look at that and go, right, do they understand what I mean by it? Have we structured it so it's appropriate for their age and stage of development? And then are we starting to, to build on it? Because, as a player, I know I've gone to sessions and my mind is closed off. I'm not really in a learning mode that day. If the coach is then trying to help me learn something and it's doing, and I'm just going, oh man, you know, I just want to run around for a bit. I just want to play. I just want to, have they understood that in me as a person at that time? So have they connected with me to understand, not today, yeah? Just let me play, focus your attention and time on other people for today. You've then got to try and work out, well, what actually do my young people want from me in the context that we're in? Enough coaches don't spend time 
understanding that. What is this group all about? What are we trying to achieve? Yeah. Now, if I go in and start coaching in a way that's going to be counterproductive uh, to pass a quote, I have to understand that. That's why, for me, evidence it on the course. So we used to say to people, you must, you must deliver, and you must deliver the opposite of a session. So if it's an in-possession, you will do an in-possession and an out-of-possession where you show us a full range of methodologies. Yeah, because we want to see. Now, how they structure that, it could be group discussion, 1v1s, but then there will be a time where we will expect them to go in and go, excuse me, I just want to really highlight this point because it's key, and I'm going to use the stop standstill methodology because I think it's most appropriate for this time. And we want them to recognize, well, actually, that is. And I would encourage people, set the behaviors first. What do I want us to achieve? What are we working on? What are the learning objectives? This is what we're working on. Questioning. Do you understand what we're working on? Because we've outlined it, you fed back to me. Yeah. Then one of the one, then mentor. And it could be, if they still haven't got it after all that, yeah. I'm going to show you now, and it's going to be this. And this is what I expect from you. Yeah. Um, I think well, for me, just on that one, though, my this is just, you know this is just my own personal thing. I think this is definitely something I, I would encourage all coaches to do. Um, if you're ever finding yourself in a situation where you're having to explain something, my thing is just show it anyway. Because what happens more often than not is a lot of a lot of players um, or a lot of coaches rather will, will explain it, then ask the age-old question, "Do you understand?" Players will say yes because they want to carry on playing. And some of them still don't understand. So, I mean, my approach that I tend to encourage is, right, if you're going to have to explain something, just demo it whilst you explain it. Maybe it might be slow walk-paced demo or half-paced demo, but actually walk through it while you're explaining it and then leave the question, not do you understand? Is anyone... So when I, I finally got signed off for my yeah. A licence, I was working with Dover under-18s, um, you know, and what we would do is send the clips of this is what we are trying to work on this week so i would take a clip from you know an elite environment okay so we're a kent youth league we're working here we're not elite performers but this is what we're working to do so say it's the way De Bruyne puts balls into the far post who's going to be affected by this and i would outline to them have a look at this understand that X, Y, Z are going to be the focus and look at what we're going to be trying to achieve. Do they watch? Do they not? Some do, some don't. So it's the same when you go in and you, you demo it. So a walkthrough, a walkthrough is useful, but it's also slow. It's yeah. also unrepresentative. What I tend to do, though, within that, and this is, this is this, there's two parts to this, is once I've done that, I'll never ask the question, do you understand? What yeah, How many of you are confident enough to explain back to me what I'm expecting here? Well, this is where Mark Bennett comes back in, yes, because he goes, show me you understand. Precisely. So, I mean, I've had Mark Bennett on, on, on the podcast a couple of times and, um, and we've had in-depth conversations about this. And another piece to that is, is often, for, for me, is um, where coaches can maybe have more of an impact and be more effective what they're doing is understanding which players in the group are learners through observation, which are learners through doing and which are learners through listening. 
because what you might find is and what typically happens is right simon's got fantastic technique so whenever i've got a demo i need to show i'm going to get simon to do it yeah but simon might be the guy that needs to see it first so you might just have someone in the group that might only be five or six out of ten out of delivering the technique but they understand what's expected just from you explaining it but we know that once simon understands it he'll be able to perform it and maybe demonstrate it at a higher level so let's be mindful of the players that we've got in our group who learns mm. by doing who learns by listening who learns by seeing Let's keep the players who learn by seeing out of any demonstrations. Get the players who learn by doing or learn by listening, potentially doing the demonstrations, handpick them. They might not be the best technically, but they might actually get you half, halfway there a lot quicker than if you get Simon to try and work it as well as he's trying to understand, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and, and learning preference, you know, because I know that learning styles have been debunked, but learning preference in how I like to receive information. But... If I say Simon is one of the best players, yeah, some of the kids can go, but I can't do what Simon does. Um, and it's like, all right, we'll try to have an attempt at, strive to, whatever the language is where you're trying to encourage them. This is to go, don't to... understand the execution of. Precisely. And I think this thing comes back to yeah. that, that, that technical information piece. And I think the common, the common misunderstanding in my, in my experience with a lot of coaches is we coach when something isn't going right. Yeah. Actually, yeah. we need to start coaching more often when things are going right. So the players are understanding that things are going right, but they're also understanding what it's taking to make those things go right in the first place. So quite often it might be, right, stop, stand still. There might be a bit of praise and it might be well done or I love that, but let's be more specific. Right, Simon, I love the way you dropped your shoulder there. And because you dropped it at this specific moment, you had the defender doing this, which allows you to now do this. Now, that's still, for me, a demonstration of technical information and knowledge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what we used to try and do, and I don't know if you've come across it yet, is Coach's Eye. And Coach's Eye is just a, a three-quid app on the iPhone or iPad. And you'd capture some footage. And then you'd WhatsApp it out or you'd say, look at these examples of what you players have done in this session related to what we were working on. Best examples. But then you would say also, see if you can have a look to see if there's any examples in there where we could have done better. The challenge for me, especially with recreational players is, and I imagine it's still in, in elite environments. So when I do these set assessments, I can see the difference between a, an absolute flyer and someone who's just doing it, yeah? So when they start to, you say, because you're trying to educate and you're trying to help them learn and understand. Some of them just aren't motivated to do it. They don't want to apply the effort required for them to learn and become better. They just want to coast and mess about with their mates. And it's a social thing for them. So it comes back to once we know our players' motivations for being there, structuring it. Because we will know that there will be session disruptors where you go, oh my goodness, you know, why is this kid even come? They don't enjoy it. I'm trying my best. I'm putting on sessions that I think will really stretch and challenge them and help them become high level uh, for our level. But this child's just not interested in that. And I think all of this comes down to coaches need to be educated to understand what their role is in their context and their team. And going back to the mashup stuff, you see this branch at 12, 11, where I want to take it serious. I still want to just mess about. 
you've then got the quandary of you may have 50% of your kids who want to go one way, one go the other. You can't formulate a team that way. You have to go, right, if you want to be recreational, if you've got B sides in your club, maybe the B team's the one where you go and we need to have trials to get in other kids who are more serious. But then you're streaming and then you've got that. Now, I have no problem with streaming if everyone understands this is what we do here. You're buying into this streaming and unfortunately that may include, you might not get equal playing time at times, but that's what you're buying into. You know, this isn't recreational football now, this is serious and we're really trying our best to, to push you on. And I think this is where coaches need to invest more time initially, understand your players' motivations. That's that connection bit around why are you here? What do you want? How can I help you? And I, I remember listening to a podcast of a guy who was working at Watford and I think he went to China. Brilliant guy. Um, he would say to the players, how can I add value to your game? And I'd be like, that's a great bit of terminology for each player to understand where do you want to actually get to with this? Um, because that's the crux of it. And this is the challenge we face as coach educators, assessors going into grassroots context. It's so broad that we're trying to get, and I, I, my, my terminology is we're trying to get the glass slipper to fit on the ugly sister. You know, we're not really meeting the needs of the people. Um, we're, we're, we're trying to say, for this context, I need to see. But that's why I say they must show it on course, which we know is fallible as well, because you've got a load of middle-aged people predominantly. There are some younger ones who but try to get the younger players to run around as much as they should. Oh, no, I've got a game tomorrow. I've got to save this stuff. Really? You, you start to go, they need to evidence it on here that they can show me that full spectrum. Yeah. And then we will discuss when we're in situ and mentoring, why didn't you do it at that time? Did you not think that that was an absolutely perfect time for you to use X, Y, Z? And then we get into that debate. I think the challenge we have, yes, is effective coach development cannot happen through episodic coach coaching courses. I really believe that someone like you, like me, should be working in an environment with these people long-term. And we set up communities of practice, we support them with understanding what coaching is, the full spectrum of it, we discuss it, we evolve. But you need people who are happy to do that. Because we I, all know that there's, I don't know where you're based, yes, where are you based? Uh, so I'm based in London, uh, Middlesex yeah. mainly, to be honest. But, um, so there's, there's big clubs in Middlesex, isn't there? Yeah. Massive clubs. Yeah. So you need a coach developer who's going into a club and on Mondays, you're going to be in Hamwell Town, let's say, and yeah. every Monday, you're going to evolve their coaching practice. And you're going to go through the whole spectrum of everything over a season, two seasons, three seasons, because you're getting paid a good wage to work in that environment to really improve coaching. And then Tuesday, you might be in another club in Middlesex. Yeah. Wednesday, Thursday... Friday, Saturday, Sunday is days for you to plan, prep, and really get your knowledge up to where you need it to be. Same for me, if I was working in Dover, Ramsgate, so-and-so. I think that's the only way we can really push this on. Because episodic, come on. Because I know when I've spoken to people, when we've done courses, what have you taken from today? You know, what, have you, what are you going to go and apply 
it's so hit and miss with how it's landed at people. You know, it, it's frustrating because you think, I really feel that I've catered for the people in front of me. And I really try my best with that. So I don't know if you've done the Open University free coach developer course that they, they put together, which is about 24 hours. No, I haven't. It's no. got some great stuff on there, you know, and it's free and you can do it at your own time. So you can do an hour today, two hours tomorrow, whatever. Um, and then Stuart Armstrong mentions on there, um, Noel Six Principles of why the adults come on to coaching courses. Mm. And that really started to shape for me what what is it that the person why are they motivated what's the immediate problem that they want solving and i think that's that's a really important question or really uh, important thing to know because i think for a lot of these and this is one of the other challenges. i think by the way the idea of being able to go out working in clubs and supporting their coaches on on, on site and having uh, almost dedicated time and uh, available to each in environment that you go into i think is a fantastic idea i think the only challenge you have with that sometimes as well is that coming back to the piece that you've just mentioned there is what is the motivation of the coach now the reality is not every coach is that bothered about their development yeah um especially not from a formal qualification standpoint um i mean i know i was just having a conversation with one of my mates yesterday and you know there's a a local you know semi-pro team that he he's working with he's working with the under 18s he's, he's got a license the first team manager ain't even got a level one. So the other side of it is how much do they really care about the qualification? How much do they really care about whether they actually develop or not? Um, then, you know, you do get some and they're few and far between. Uh, they're definitely not the majority in my, in my experience that actually genuinely want to develop, yeah. genuinely want to get the feedback and, uh, and support around their own practice, how they can maybe go further with what they're doing and maybe implement um new ideas and be, be a bit more creative and innovative with that. So I think there, there is that balance of, you might have a great environment, but the, even the people within it, they have to have their own ambitions. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think it comes back to that question that you know you talked about earlier, the same question you'd ask the players, as well as you being a coach developer and even in a coaching capacity is, how can I help you? How can I add value to you? Um, yeah. whereas previously my mindset was almost well I'm the coach I've got some knowledge to chair here you go have it um, but I think also that asking that question how can I add value comes back to the five C's that you talked about and that fifth C in particular the caring yeah. piece that caring piece because you know it's, it's about developing that rapport developing that relationship and you know that age old phrase how does it go um, people don't know People don't care what you say until they know how much you care. Or yeah, yeah that's, that's it, yeah. Because so, the normal six principles for adults is they usually come on to some sort of education. So some people, if you put a strap line on this, if it resonates with them, they're going to listen. And they're going to go, ah, that's talking about a subject that I need help with now. Yeah. When they come on, I want some behaviour management techniques. Ah, okay, well, this is where we can discuss how you structure it, what consequences you might have in place, how you praise, how you practice, how you design practice. All those elements that will be manage behavior better will come in there. And all those bits that we know about, well, if you have line drills, they're going to flick each other's ears and be annoying. Try not to have line drills. Keep them busy, active, wear them out a bit. When they get a bit blowy, let them rest. They're not going to want to scrap with each other. 
So this is where I think, I don't know if you've come across it before, this work by Wenger Trainer around communities of practice. And they use it a lot in uh, Canada, but it's used to be initially working in offices. But the different values, so they have a, a thing called the value creation framework. So the value creation framework is the different strategic things people come on courses to get. So it could be, I just want immediate value. Well, what's immediate value? Behavior management techniques is what I want. What's potential value? Becoming better at practice design to help me manage behavior better. Okay, brilliant. Then it turns into applied value. So when I've applied it, reviewed it, what have I got from it? Did that stuff that Yas give me work? Mm. It did. Now I'm buying into Yas because he's helped me solve an immediate problem that yeah. I was really struggling with. You then look at the realized value, actually working with Yas over a long period of time helps me be better at what I do, helps my players have a greater experience. Yeah. And then we reframe it by going, well, what next? I've got good at behavior management. Is it tech tack for me now that the players are tuned in, listening, and ready to receive information from me? And I think it's a nice way, because when you go into a club, you can start to go, right, if we have me as the mentor at the top, we then have a, a collective of people, which might be people who are interested in learning lots of more, motivated, and they also want to develop the other coaches as they come in as beginners. Brilliant. We can empower them, share with them, there then go off and do the same to the next cohort of people below us. Mm -hmm. So we just work with those really motivated ones who want to learn and give them what we know, and then they pass it on. So this is almost that tumble down effect. And it's like the five levels. Sorry, say that again, yes, I missed it, mate, sorry. Said it's like the five levels of leadership stuff. Right, yeah, go on, elaborate on that, because I don't know that. Go on. Yeah, so basically you've got, um, do you know what, I don't remember the, all the levels off the top of my head, yeah. but I'll give you the gist of it. So the first one is about, you know, being in, a, just because you're a coach or you're in this leadership position, people are going to listen to you. Yeah, yeah. But they'll listen to, or they'll, they'll have more respect and value for you um, if they can understand that you're there for them. Yeah. Um, but the problem, the problem, the problem obviously that comes with that, that second level is that if you're there to kind of maybe serve them, if you like, is some people might take that, take, try and take advantage of that. Yeah. Um, but then the next piece is look, so it's, it's I'm going to lead. I'm going to lead and help you with what you want I'm going to I'm going to lead I'm going to show you but then I'm going to also allow you to now show me what you've learned and the next piece after that is right you're going to I'm going to lead you're going to show but you're now going to teach that to someone else yeah yeah um so I think that 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 bit's key because it's, it's not and they say you know if by teaching someone else something you get to learn it twice over yeah, because you have to be quite clear and quite sure of yourself in terms of the information that you're now passing yeah. across. So I think that that in itself is something that I like to use within my coaching as well. My players is yeah. like, I can recognize that someone has a good understanding of something. My challenge often to them is right. I want you to now go and explain that to the rest of the group and break it down in a way that they're going to understand it. And even if they're not able to complete that task, that's okay. It's just now again that 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 that's that's a task that I've given them so that maybe help them understand right. Okay, how can I break this down? Um, 
because my thing is that has always been this is if you understand how to break it down the execution piece eventually will come yeah and that's the process that you're you're following that's where you're going i believe that this process is key we, we will get the success that we want from it if we're consistent in the application uh, and i'm a, a big believer in that and i think co-creation with players is what we, we need to do, we need to go, where are we not functioning as well as we like? Well, it could be we don't press as high as early as we could. Okay, what do we need to design to help us get better at that? Oh, this, 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 let's go and have a go then. And then we'll refine it and you know deal with it as we go through. But to get to that stage of coaching, you need to have quite a good knowledge of learning and development. You need to have lots of confidence about how to structure and manage that. And you also need to know this is not going where it needs to go. I need to bring it back to where we'd like to. Um, and that's what takes time. And this is the thing. People want to shortcut time on the grass, learning and developing, because they think, well, what I need to do is I just need to hear it, practice it. And I'll be, no, we all know that, that doesn't, it doesn't happen like that because people are involved. And people ruin things in relation to, I had this lovely plan, and now it's gone out the window because these people have come in with different agendas today. Mm. You know, and especially in inner London, you know, if a child has had a traumatic experience on the way to training, or, you know, something's happened which has really thrown them out, a friend's got into a scrap or something even more extreme, they turn up at training going, this is my place where, you know, it's just great. It's just great. I, I'm not with it today because this has happened in my life, but I don't want to share it with anyone. If we then go in and we, we have an expectation of them around that, you know, people don't always fulfill right. that expectation. And, I, and that's why that caring bit that we, we touched on around the five C's is important. Yeah. So for me, when we start to assess coaches, um, I don't know if you've come across the, mark, the work of Mark Upton, who's an Australian guy, used to live in England, but has gone back to Adelaide. He's got this thing called Wayfinder and Storykeeper. Um, and it links to some work that uh, an, an, um, an Australian academy does down there, where their coaches are called mentors. Yeah, they don't call them coaches. And what they do is they have a platform where if me and you are working together and you're my coach and I'm your player, and you're saying, Simon, we really need to develop your first touch to get it out of your feet and switch the play. Yeah. That's what I want you to work on for the next six weeks from a technical, tactical perspective. We will have narrative around this. Simon, here's the video clip of me showing you what I don't think you're doing at the moment. Here's the video of that happening. And that's put on your platform so you know. So if you know um, the PMA system, it will link to that. The PMA is a bit, you know, you've also got huddle for video clips, but it's not. This is where we could have this conversation now. We clip it. It goes on there. So I'm on what your IDP, da, da, da. And then that sticks with us. And a narrative comes across that. I will go on. In the game today, I had three opportunities to do it. I did it once. It wasn't great. I put that on there. So if I red dot something, it's something for the coach to go and have a look at and go, Ah, okay, this is what their thoughts and feelings and observations are around this. Brilliant, let me respond to that and let's see if we can move it forward. It also tells me what they want me as a coach to do when we're next together. Mm. That then becomes their narrative of the season. 
and we start to evolve it. And it goes back to that immediate value, potential value, applied value. And we get to the reframing where we go, what's next? What's right. next? What's next? And that is what we could use with coaches, I believe. You know, we could start to go, where are you at? What do you want? How can I help? What's our interactions that we've measured? To say you then get a new job, you move on, that narrative is still there. Mm. So if I take your place and come in, I can go, well, let's see where this person is. Provided you provided you provided you have the same approach and that you approach it in a way of also how can I add value? Yeah, yeah. Because that's my job. That's how I see it. And you know the individuals though, isn't it? And I think that's the key piece. It's not just adding value based on the needs, but needs and wants. Because Mm -hmm. they have to buy into that process. And I think that's the real key piece here. If they're not buying into it, you could have all again, you can have all the knowledge in the world, you can have all the, you know, the, the the best practices that might get this topic to come out or this this individual piece to come out but if they're not buying into it you're chasing a lost cause but i think when they understand that to pass your qualification you have to show x y z it could be when you go to institute it just doesn't come out yeah but i've got access to their video footage their you know, say I've got a coach who's a, an assistant coach, they can then give a narrative around it, but support it with actual evidence. It can't just be my mate writing a nice thing about me. And then they go, right, okay, here, here is the video footage of Yas executing consistently um, some stop, stand still, let's say, which has been a challenge for them because it doesn't feel natural for them, but they've embraced that challenge and gone, I'm determined to show Yas that I can do what they expect. Mm. Because we know, we go to watch in situs and it might not happen for whatever, it could go, because that kid's turned up, he's been traumatized, that's then rippled out to the rest of the group and the rest of the group have just gone, oh, Simon's had this mad thing on the way into session today and it's just, you know, and the coach looks at you and goes, Yas, I don't know what to do. You've gone out there, you've invested your time, but you know, well, what success are we going to get to that? It's probably going to be minimal in relation to the conversation we had pre-institute because this is just done. So it's taking the pressure off, in my opinion, that episode becoming the thing. Mm. It's more a let's show your development journey from the day you entered on level two, UA for C, to where you think you're ready to be signed off. Yeah. You know, and we're abreast of that because if you've got 12 people you're supporting, you know exactly where they are in that process. And you go, I'm going to go out. I'm confident I can sign this person off because they've shown me evidence. Yeah. And, and for me, it's just that that process becomes their norm. Mm. If you want to pass, this is what you need to do. I, I, th- I think that would be very ideal. But I think a lot, a lot, of, the, a lot of the challenges that a lot of learners do have um is if for one reason or another there's no consistency in the person that's overseeing that process for them there you go and this is is evidenced you might see something and i might might see and say well actually that doesn't doesn't quite doesn't quite meet 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 the barrier for me or the bar for me in terms of that that competency or that that piece of the framework if you like um so i think and 
What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The other side of it is really making sure that the learners in this case do understand a somewhat correct interpret or do have a somewhat correct interpretation of what the framework actually is demanding of them. Now, yeah. it is a framework, which means it's yours to work within. And even with that, You'll have your interpretation as a, as a as a as a coach developer. I might have might have my own, but there is a general consensus. Yeah, that this is what we're looking for. Mm. Yeah, um, but for I just I'm not I'm not sure whether a lot of learners actually pick up on pick up on that. Um, but I just want to kind of move move things on a little bit. Come come back to your own journey a little bit more. In terms of your own journey now, then, um, how? What would you say is, has been the biggest lesson that you've picked up along the way? In, in relation to what, yes? Anything? Um, or... In relation to, more specifically, I guess, what makes you an impactful coach? So going into that environment, obviously you've talked about maybe the asking that initial question of, right, how can I add value? Um, and I think it's a brilliant question if the people that you're asking the questions, you have some sort of awareness or an understanding of maybe what value could be brought regardless of who's asking the question. So they, yeah. they have to have some sort of self-awareness or awareness of the context to even be able to ask a question like that. Yeah, I think that the thing for me is, the biggest realisation is effective development takes time. So I was coaching my sons under 18 and we were starting to look at, well, what are the behaviours I want from them first, using Mark Bennett's approach around, well, initially, I want them, when they come to training, to try their best. So we would have commitment, and then what do the five commitment statements mean to me? So then, as they went through the season and they started to consistently apply that, I would then go, you've gone from a two out of five to a five out of five for that topic area. So what we would look at was commitment, um, being a, a positive teammate and then also being responsible because I believe that once people are committed take responsibility 
and then um, a positive, because I want people to be positive around our performance. We know we're going to be up and down with actual outcome, but we're, we want to be positive around it. We're not going to dig our mates out. You know, I don't think anyone really functions when someone gives them a lot of grief. I've met people who've said, oh, no, I need someone to actually shout and scream at me to get, well, okay, that's fine. If that works for you, you need someone who's going to do that. That won't be me. I then need to teach them that. So I'm looking at it. This is what we're going to work on. Positive teammate, behavior, uh, commitment, responsibility. Technical, technical stuff will sit around that. Now, because they're under eight, what do we need to do attacking? What do we need to do defensive? Rotation of positions, equal playing time. That is then laid on year on year, new behaviors introduced, new levels of tech tech, new levels of dealing with formats. Now, after two years, we moved to Spain. So I haven't managed to go through that over a 10 year period. I think I need a 10 year period to go, what does it make me to be effective? Well, I need to have 10 years to look back and go, you know what? That nailed it. Because this is a hypothesis. This is a theory. Yeah. I think if I apply this, 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 and this, I will help people come out much more educated about football and how to play the game. Now, whether they're recreational and go on to play for a pub team, they still know how to play the game. When to, play, when to support, how to support, how to receive. They, whether they can execute it to a high level, well, that's down to their physical capabilities, their technique, their application. I 100% agree with that. And I think you make a great point there. And the reality is going to probably be very difficult and challenging for you to kind of, uh, I guess, really assess the effectiveness of that without maybe having consistent groups of people working with you as well on that. Yeah. Um, however, there will be some things which you can see are working. Now, I guess my only key message leading off from that for maybe coaches to kind of take on board and there's probably going to be uh, many coaches listening to this that this won't apply to but there probably will be a lot out there that it will apply to is that if you're a coach that's looking at other people's sessions looking at other people's practice and thinking right I really like that I'm going to do that now um, don't let that be the end of your, your curiosity if you like don't curve it there go one step further and identify for yourself why or better yet, what the origins of that approach that, that you know that, that practice or that conversation has been from that coach to that player from that coach to those players yeah. from that coach developer to the coach so that you can really understand that if a it, it it's working why it's working and what the reasons were that it's working what it was designed for um, but b also on the same on the same note if it's not working, understanding what it's designed for and having, a re having the understanding of what it was, uh, why it's, what, it, what the design is and what it was designed for, you'll also go to easier pinpoint why it may not be working in that environment. So I often, you know, I refer to them as maybe YouTube coaches in this case, is they'll watch a session, they'll go and see someone's session, uh, they'll deliver the same practice and they'll even try and coach the points to the same timings as what they've seen. Um, but paying no attention or, to the context of actually what actually happened in that moment. Yeah. What was the detail and what was the need for that detail in that moment? What was the practice and what made the players make a particular decision? 
Was it the constraint of the practice? Was it the where the opposition were placed? Was it the fact that actually they had a certain task or challenge within the practice which encouraged them to make a certain decision? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you could the possibilities are endless on that. But I guess the real key message is that really get an understanding and ask yourself why has this been designed and who has it been designed for before then taking the concept and applying it for in in a similar way for your own players, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because, yes, the biggest challenge for me, even with my knowledge and experience, was conveying the message to the parents effectively around my approach. Yeah. So I was very much around they'll, they're developing. They're going to develop at different ages and stages. We've got first quarter births. We've got fourth quarter births. We understand that they're going to be different places cognitively and physically. Yeah. You'll see certain people execute certain things. Don't judge your child by another child's performance. Have an ipsactive approach to assessment where you judge them on their previous best. But because parents weren't able to understand this, and this is where I failed in relation to, I needed to educate them more around my approach for them to be, um, I would say, supportive of it with their child. Because there was parents getting in their car going, what you need to do is this, what you need to do is that. Don't listen to the coach. You know, and there's one game where, you know, we were going to move anyway, but it came to a stage of the season where we were playing a team that played up a year last year and were excellent, you know, really, really good. Drop back down to their own division. They've been smashing everyone 15-0. They beat us six. And I, I spoke to a dad as I'm walking off. What do you think? I'm absolutely devastated. I can't believe that we've lost to them. And that was more personal ego, knowing the coach on the other team, knowing some of the players and getting drawn into that emotional bit rather than looking at, did your child perform well? Mm. Of course they did. We didn't get smashed 15 ill like most teams. And also we conceded four of them goals when we were playing up the hill. Yeah. (laughs) You just think parents can undo all that great work that you're trying to do in your training session with their perspective of what football coaching is. Mm. And if you don't invest the time and effort in making sure they're as much on board as possible, because they're still going to have their view, but understand I'm doing this for the betterment of your child. Please trust the process. Question me, have conversations with me. I will always explain because I was sharing videos, articles, this is why I do what I do, pre-season meetings, mid-season meetings, all that sort of stuff to keep them in the loop. But once you start losing a couple um, of matches, all of a sudden they start to question the process. Yeah. And you go, you have to be more patient than that. So yeah. if I'm talking purely from a grassroots perspective where I would say most of my knowledge and experience sits, Coaches need to invest that time yeah, uh, and then understand what the motivations of the parents are. Do they align with yours? Because where we were in East Kent, there's some good players in East Kent, but they're so far away from elite academies that, you know, are they really going to get the other coaching that will help them? So the parents' perspective is, my kid's brilliant, absolute shining star. We'll go and play some children from London 
in this sort of, and they could be in a pre-academy in London who could do these amazing things. Um, and you go, do you understand the levels? Do you understand where your child is developmentally at this moment? If you don't, you're probably doing your child a disservice by staying, putting them on a pedestal where they're not there just yet. If you want them to be, well, you have to do a, an hour and a half to two hour round trip three or four times a week. And then you can start to gauge where's my son developmentally in relation to these others. And we all know less than 1% make it out the other end to go on to play elite level first team football. And they put too much expectation pressure on their child to get to that stage. I, th I think to make a great point there, I think one, one key thing to kind of really look into and take away from that is, and this is something that I'm massive on, is I do believe that coaches need to do more in terms of supporting themselves by educating the parents. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that could be as simple as, right, in, in Simon Millington's football club, here's what we mean when we say this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. A means this, B means this, C means this. Now, parents, you might have your own interpretations for what these things mean elsewhere. But when we're in this environment, this is what we mean. So if we are going to support the players by giving them a bit of encouragement and praise from the sidelines, let's try and link it to this. Also, parents, yeah. when I, the coach, am saying A, B or C, this is what I mean. And I'm not only letting the players know this, but I'm letting you know this so that you could potentially pass those same messages on. Uh, and, and why I say it is because I've, to this day, I've been coaching for, you know, over, over 10 years, um, still a long way away from, how, from your experiences, but I've never yet met, and you can tell me from your own experiences too, I've never yet met a parent that's been ill-intended. Um, no. Often misunderstood, miseducated, or under-advised. Um, and all it needs is a bit, you know, and this is it's, it's kind of gone around circle a bit because they've actually got the motivation. They mm. want the support. But they're only going to support in the way that they know how. Yeah. Um, and I think it's for us as coaches to take responsibility of that and give them a bit of guidance on how, on how to support them best. Even if it is as simple as those post-training session conversations, those post-match conversations, around what have you learned? What have you picked up? You know, what was something that you were really proud of today? What was one thing that you saw on the opposition team that you think might benefit you going forward? Yeah. I mean, one of the best people I've met with this, and you might know him, yes, is Ray Lee. Ray Lee is a coach down in East London. The structure and the setup of his club is fantastic. And the players that he um, supports and develops have a really good understanding of what Ray means when Ray's saying this and the structure of his games, his practices, he, he really embraces letting them solve the problems, letting them work it out, letting them negotiate and I'll add value where I can add value. And this is the, the thing for me is coaches need to understand he's been doing that for a long time. He's very, very good at doing that. Um, and Coaches need, uh, not coaches, parents need to understand what am I signing my child up for? And this is where clubs do a disservice to their coaches who they ask to volunteer. They don't induct people properly into when you come here, this is what we do. Exactly what you've elaborated there 
This is how we do it at this stage, this stage, this stage, this stage. How you can contribute positively is this. You know, because the amount of debates I have with parents about direct instruction from the sidelines, do this, shoot, run, trap, you know, the whole joystick coaching. And I'd say, you don't go into their school and say that. And the discussions around equal playing time, and I say, well, if they went to school and just learned mathematics, would you be happy with it? You know, you wouldn't. You'd want them to get a rich diet of lots of different things. So when they play in goal, yes, it's nerve-wracking. Yes, they'll make mistakes, but that's learning. They're starting to be a bit anxious, but learn to manage that anxiety and go, I can do it. I can be successful. Because there was this one guy, he would, he, my son's a goalkeeper because he thinks, well, goalkeepers always play. Well, in this team, your goalkeeper will also play defence, midfield. His, his son ended up scoring 15 goals. And you look at his little face when he scores a goal, he's over the moon. Is he going to get to do that when he's just the goalkeeper? The dads then said, no, actually, I think he's a defensive midfielder now. And it is that constant, don't label him yet. Don't pigeonhole him. Allow him to see where he flourishes. Let him play and figure itself out. Yeah, yeah. Because he'd always look at his dad. He'd always be, I want to please my dad. I want to please my dad. And it's like, dad, can't you look back at him and go, you're pleasing me? Rather than going, oh, you did that wrong. Why did you do that? But he made a poor decision at that time. But remember, he's eight. He's not got this memory bank of when I've applied this last time, this has happened. Da, 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 da. He hasn't built up that knowledge and experience bank to make more effective decisions more consistently. So you go, let's just help parents. And that's where I should have helped my assistant facilitate these practices. Initially, I'll have to spend 15, 20 minutes with the parents and then I'll go in and maybe add a bit more value to the, the session uh, as we go forward. And it's almost how do we work as a coaching team if we have got a pair? How do we structure it? Because that was my Achilles heel. And, and if I go back in and do it again in another similar context, um, I would invest more time in educating those people and having those conversations with them. Because you will always have someone who, who gaslights along the sideline going, oh, so-and-so doesn't do it like this. And, oh, we could go up the road and play for so-and-so. And it's like, you could, but you're trading off. You're trading off getting knowledge and experience with someone to get someone who will give you quick wins, quick fixes. But, but oh, look, the quick fix, quick where do those children end up? Yeah. Because I've been at the other end working with teenagers who dropped out of the game because their coaching experience was not what it was, they wanted it to be. And they now go, I'd rather step away and not play. Or if I'm going to play, it will just be jumpers for goalposts with my mates over the park. When actually they may have been able to play at a, a, a level which was more rewarding for them, but they were like, I can't be bothered. You know, I've had enough of football. And, and you're going, but you're only 13. Yeah, but this coach did that and he did it. And my parents were a nightmare and did it. And you think, yeah, it's a shame. And, I, and that's why I'm really massive on let's help coaches understand the impact of their behaviors on young people. You know, I do a lot of mental health courses now. And you, you see that formative year trauma is what makes a lot of people um, get to a situation where they take their own life. 
And you think, well, surely as grassroots coaches uh, and parents, our job is just to nurture and just go, look, let's have a wonderful time during these formative years. Life is going to be hard enough as it is when you get older. Um, let's really make sure that everything we do in the context where we are is positive and supportive rather than, you know, like you said earlier, yes, highlighting the mistakes. Do we need to highlight the mistakes in front of all our peers? Um, you know, it doesn't go down well with me. I wouldn't like being in a place and then suddenly someone says, stop, oi, what are you doing? I'd be like, oh God, sorry. But we, we, we sometimes forget the impact of that because we have our own thoughts and feelings around, I need to do this. I need to do this now. And I, I think just encouraging coaches to be more considered um, in their why. You know, why do I do what I do in this place? What's my role? How do I support? Do I know enough about my players? Do I know enough about my parents? Do I know enough about the game? And then how do I teach all this to this mishmash of people who've got a load of different thoughts and feelings on this topic area? Because it's quite emotive football, isn't it? You know, and I used to love delivering courses in London because you had such a rich array of cultures and backgrounds. Oh, I'm Portuguese. I'm Spanish. I'm from the Caribbean. I'm from Africa. Yeah, I'm someone who was born and raised in London my whole life from a white background. Okay, interesting. Let's see what the discussions are around all this. And, you know, you, you get to a stage where we're all human, we're all very much similar, but those little cultural nuances do make a difference. And I think people just need to be aware of that when they coach. Do they understand enough of the cultural background as well of the people in front of them? You know, mm -hmm. what's their motivations for attending football? Where do they want to get to with it? Um, and I think we don't spend enough time just understanding that because our coaching courses traditionally, yes, were structured to learn how to do the X's and O's before knowing the people. Yeah. I think if we flip it, know the people, teach the X's and O's. I think that's where the youth mods have come in and, and I've, I've really, I guess, really changed the perspective on things there. Uh, but Simon, look, it's been a really insightful conversation. I'm sure there's going to be lots of things that people have picked up on and I know there's certainly things that you've got me thinking about. Um, but if we were to kind of maybe look to round up and, and, you know, there was one key message or golden nugget that you'd want to share with the listeners and viewers, what would that be? The, the, the one key nugget is be clear on why you do what you do and how you will add value to the people you're trying to help develop um, and do that to the best of your ability. And I think you touched on it. Some people aren't motivated to learn, you know, and for me, that's a red flag for many organizations to go, why, you know? And I know some people are a bit pushed forward to become the coach of the team and they're a bit, I don't know, but I'm the only one who's doing it. Have high support for those people while they go through the beginning stages because it's not easy you know i've just outlined the challenges i had with parents and i've got 20 odd years of experience someone's a beginner they're not confident they're trying to challenge this group of people um to understand why they do what they do they probably don't even know yet they probably don't even know so give them effective inductions to, to really support them and i think it goes back let's have experts like yourself, like other coach developers in clubs, 
and really mentoring properly to make sure that the messages are embedded over a, a long time and they can see the successes and share the successes um, with everyone involved. Definitely, I totally agree with that. I think, I think it is, um, I guess, the, the key thing I've taken away from that is about longevity, not, not necessarily worrying about the quick wins. The quick wins are great when they're there, but let's just think about the long term and how, and how we can get there. Um, Simon, just want to say thank you again for your time today. Look, it's been really, like I said, it's been really insightful. But if there was any listeners or viewers that maybe wanted to touch base with yourself and find out a little bit more about your journey and some of the things that you you do um, yourself, is there somewhere they could get in touch with you to do that? Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Simon Millington. So you can just search me up on that quite easy. And my Twitter is at Delamil Tutor One. So Delamil is D-E-L-A-M-I-L-L, Tutor One, and that's on Twitter. And that's where I just share my thoughts around coaching. And, you know, I, I've still got a lot of development. And you will know this, yes. You, you start to think you're cracking it, and then you, you get introduced to something new, and you go, oh, wow. Uh, and you get to the realisation, I'm never going to crack this. I just need to evolve and go with it. 100%. 100%. I think that's the key thing, understanding you're never going to crack it. And the moment you think you've cracked it, you've been left behind. <laughs> yeah. Simon, look, thank you again for your time this morning. It's been really insightful. Um, really enjoyed that. Um, thank you. Yeah, brilliant. Yes, I've enjoyed it as well. It's always great to talk coaching um, and uh, learning and development. I think it's, it's massive. Awesome. There you have it guys, another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favourite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Network. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com amazing to start your springtime adventure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.